Fireflies Unite with Kia, your weekly podcast from the perspective of individuals thriving with a mental illness. We are normalizing the conversation about mental health within communities of color to foster mental wellness and empowerment. Welcome to another episode of the Fireflies Unite podcast, where our mission is to bring light into darkness by normalizing the conversation about mental health within communities of color and share the stories of those thriving with the mental illness. So I honestly have no idea where I would be without my amazing support system. They are truly the backbone of my recovery, and I have learned that not everyone will rock with you when you're in your dark days. I'm so thankful for my therapist, my psychiatrist, my mom, grandma, aunts, cousins, and friends, and a host of other people that have prayed for me, encouraged me, listened to listened to me when I cried, and given me money, and made sure I ate, and so much more. A support system will remind you of who you are, um, who God is, and the calling that he's placed on your life. And I just remember crying and contemplating suicide and calling my friend who lives in Kansas City, shout out to Brienne. <laughs> she and I went to Howard together and she's, you know, like a big sister to me. And I remember just telling her that, you know, life is just too much. I can't do it. I feel like God forgot about me and that the pain that I'm feeling on the inside, I already feel dead. So I should just not be here anymore. But she reminded me that it was a part of my purpose and that, you know, God is only allowing me to go through this time because he's going to use it and it's going to be a part of something greater. So today I have a very special guest who's a part of my tribe team, Kia, who went above and beyond to ensure that I was still here um, after attempting suicide. In fact, she was the one who called 911, a.k.a. the police, as we say in Jersey, Um, If it was not for God, you know, using her, I may not be there. You know, she's a big sister, a mentor, a friend, and so much more in between. So Liz, she supported me in numerous ways. So welcome to the podcast and thank you for joining me. Hey, Fireflies, (laughs) what's up? So yeah, I thought it was very fitting to just talk about building a support system when you have a mental illness, especially when you are in recovery. According to the American Psychiatric Association uh, survey that they did, people who have an emotional support group have lower levels of stress um, compared to those without a support group. And while I understand not everyone has family and friends and their support group, There are also other self-help groups and peer support groups like the National Alliance on Mental Illness offers their peer recovery course and they also offer a connection group. And then even certain hospital offers partial hospitalization programs. So I would be lying if I said that I got here alone and I am here first because of God, also the people that he's blessed me with in my life. So I wanted to tell the listeners a bit how we met. So I don't know. You can tell them first. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, thank you so much for that introduction and explaining how valuable support groups really are and just not just a support group, but more so just the people in your life that really, truly affect you in positive manners, um, I think is important for anybody, whether you're dealing with an illness or or not. So we met, Takiya and I, 
probably about six years ago now-ish, mm-hmm. when we were working at the BET Awards together. No, the no, Soul, Soul Train, Train Awards. Awards. Yes, forgive me. Yes, it was the Soul Train Awards. We've done so many awards together. Um, I actually was a full-time employee at BET, and then and Takia was like, um, I guess she was contracting for one of the departments that I worked with closely. And so we got to know each other through happenstance um, in a roundabout way that way. And once we start talking, the funny thing about it was that we just clicked. Um, It was Takiya's energy. It was her drive, her ambition, uh, the story that I heard about her going to college and what she was studying for and then where she saw herself going in the future It wasn't particularly at that time that I learned about her childhood and her past, but um, she did share with me a mentorship program that she had started in college. And it was, I think it was called, what, Lady Me? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, and I have a now 15-year-old daughter. So back then she was, what, 10, 11 years old? 9, 10, 11, if I can do the math right. Uh, But anyway, she... I I just felt like my daughter needed, because she was the older sister, um, that I kind of felt like maybe she needed an older sister to kind of mentor her. Uh, parents are, are great, you know, for giving your their kids the tools and the values and the morals, uh, but we all know that kids don't necessarily receive our messages that we say to them or our guidance when they really need it. It's not until they get older and they're adults on their own that they can reflect back to determine whether or not what their parents were saying to them was really true and realize the message much later instead of when they needed it when they were younger. So anyway, um, I just wanted to see if Takiya could kind of fill that void since she had experience with that when she was in college with teen girls and do that for my daughter. So we just basically hit it off. And fast forward to today, it's our relationship just kept growing and growing. At first, it was just, you know, we'd see and talk to each other through text message or through phone conversations here and there uh, for the first, I would say, four years or so. And then the last couple of years is when we got much closer uh, surprisingly, uh, as Takia said, she mentioned that I was the one that called the called nine one one. I don't like to say the police, but uh, <laughs> I called nine one one because I felt like she was crying out for help. But because I had no experience with receiving messages that I was receiving from her in the manner and the content that they were including, um, that I needed to get some more experienced help. (laughs) So I basically, at that time, we had an EAP program, an employee assistance program at BET. And it's basically designed for confidentiality conversations with real therapists uh, to have over the phone when you need somebody immediately to have a conversation and I kind of had to explain to them, I wasn't, I wasn't calling for me. I was calling for a friend of mine. You know how that goes. You know, I'm calling for a friend. I'm asking for a friend. But once I got through explaining all that, they understood where I was coming from and gave me the advice that just to be safe, unless I can't personally go up and physically check on her, um, that they could send somebody that, that could. 
and they would do a proper evaluation to see what her situation was and then go from there. So I really just wanted somebody to just say, you know what? She's okay. She's fine. Um, And I thought that was going to be the end of it. But probably about two, three hours later, I get a text message, text message from Takiya saying the police just broke down my door and forced me into the hospital. And I was like, wait a minute. At first I felt super guilty. And then afterwards I realized, well, they couldn't have done what she didn't need, if that makes sense. So they wouldn't have taken those actions if it wasn't necessary based on whatever conversation that they had. So everything happens for a reason. And here we are. So what was your knowledge about mental illness prior to supporting me? (laughs) That it existed pretty much. Um, As far as like details went, no clue. Honestly, no clue. And the funny thing about it is Takiya had actually asked to um, come stay with us that two years ago after she kind of got out of the hospital, after she got made decisions on what her, I guess, then recovery plan or treatment plan was going to be. And part of that needed to be that she needed to move out of her apartment so that she wasn't living on her own anymore. She needed to um, be around family slash friends that could kind of look after her and help her, you know, like get back on her feet, basically. And at that time, our kids were more much, I mean, it was only two and a half, almost three years ago. But our kids at that time, because we have a now two-year-old, they were you know, babies, they were five and 13. So it was a different time. And because we were also clueless, I didn't know if we really had the proper capabilities to give her the support that she needed. Um, it's one thing to, to have a roof to give her, a room to give her, but it's another thing to give her, in my opinion, the, the, the mental and emotional support that she really needed. And so we actually said no (laughs) at that time. And again, everything happens for a reason, I feel like. Um, But on some levels, there is a little bit of guilt because I I felt like, well, maybe now now knowing some of the struggles that she went through these last two years um, or two years after she was officially diagnosed, uh, would things have been different if we did say yes? But again... I'm going to quote it again. Everything happens for a reason. So for her to be in the position that she is now, for us to be in the position that we are now, it's probably the best decision that we can make um, because we were also in a place where we really wanted to. And I keep saying we because I can't I, I wasn't just me that supported Kia. It was my entire family and mostly my husband. Dominique, shot you out, baby. Um, (laughs) So without his support in my decision to be able to support Takiya and give her a home that could provide her a healthy and stable environment as crazy and chaotic as it is with three kids and especially three girls, here we are. No. Yeah. So you said that you that you didn't have any prior knowledge about mental illness 
prior to supporting me. And I actually, so I moved in with Liz and Dom and the rest of the fam. Um, what, like the end of September of last year. Yeah. So because I was in the process where I was reverting back. So I wasn't completely in the state that I was in when she called, um, in 2016, but I was certainly going back to that place and it was starting to impact me at work. So I was missing deadlines. I was getting in trouble for not doing my work. Um, and I was working in the public relations industry. So, and I was working at a television network, so it was really starting to impact me. And I was getting to a point where my suicidal thoughts started coming back. And I also got really frustrated with taking my medication. So I like stopped taking it. But a mentor of mine also, she took the initiative at the time when I was in the process of getting a new insurance to pay for my medication because it was starting to impact me that much at work that I physically didn't look well. And so, well, I don't want to say that it was unfortunate, but I happened to also lose my contract with this company that I was working with at the time while I, my doctor pulled me out of work to focus on my mental health. And it was a blessing in disguise because Liz know, knows that for the longest that I have been wanting to really focus on entrepreneurship. And actually, Liz and I, a few years ago, we actually started a PR company. And that was really what I thought that I was going to do. But again, just like Liz said, everything happens for a reason. And she was my partner. And I learned a lot from that process. But I happened to be diagnosed um, some months after I started it. And then it just kind of went downhill. And I was planning to eventually launch back and do it again. But things kind of changed and I started now using my PR and communications media skills to do more mental health and advocacy work. And so that's when I felt led to just go ahead and close the chapter when it came to uh, the PR company. Well, but, it was like your passion had basically shifted. Yeah. I mean, you still loved PR, but you didn't love it for somebody else, if that made sense. Mm-hmm. Um, because you had such a strong mind for being an entrepreneur, I mean, pretty much before you even went to college, right? Mm-hmm. That um, I remember having a conversation and saying, you know, you need to find out what you're passionate about because you can tell that it's not in the company that we had started before. Mm-hmm. But I can't keep saying it enough. Everything happens for a reason because even then it was when we were doing the company, it was like, we were, we were both kind of struggling with the whole idea and the concept. It wasn't something that really came out naturally. Mm -hmm. Um, It was almost like we were forcing it to come to fruition because we both really wanted it. But at the same time, it, it just wasn't happening. Um, So again, everything happening for a reason with you going through the, transitions that you have in the over that two-year period and coming to where you are now fireflies has been something that just naturally came about that organically was grown through love through passion through your own desire to have something meaningful and purposeful 
mm-hmm. for yourself, but then to share that with the world just made sense. Yeah. And I thought I was like, I was upset because I really wanted the PR company to work out because it was a great concept. Mm-hmm. It still had a um, social social causes rather attached to them because I've always been socially driven. Yep. And so I'm still using my same skills and I'm still supporting a social cause. It's just something that happens to be very personal. And I remember having the conversation with you and I was like, yeah, I think this is what I'm going to do but I'm still trying to figure out the name. And it was just like an idea, Mm -hmm. but I wasn't exactly sure how I was going to turn it into a business. And Liz was like one of the first people to encourage me like, yeah, you should do it. And when I came and I moved in with her, she was like, well, this is the perfect time for you to do that. In addition to focusing on your health, you can take time to work on other goals. I had, you know, I was trying to, well, still in the process of trying to get my weight in order, um, in the process of still going to therapy and seeing my psychiatrist and just making sure that I'm taking care of my overall health. But Liz also supported me in my career endeavors and, you know, entrepreneurship, anything that I wanted to do. And so during this time of recovery and just really taking the time to focus in on myself, I realized that by having the support system in place, it's like the happiest that I've been. I really want to say in my entire life, but I, but as a kid, I was genuinely happy, but of course I just had some challenges that I went through as a kid. But now I say that being genuinely happy in the sense, because I I'm living in an environment that supports my creativity. I'm living in an environment that supports my recovery. I'm living in an environment that makes me feel good so I can focus on those things. Now, that's not to say that I don't have bad days. I do have moments where I'll maybe a bit secluded or sometimes I'll have moments of crying, but I'm in a place where I'm actually very hopeful and optimistic. And I think that's because of having the right support system in place. Well, I think what we tried to do was to make sure that it was an environment that you felt comfortable talking about your feelings to feel comfortable talking about what's going on um, and also to the support that we are trying to provide and things. And we actually, Takiya and I had sat down um, before she even moved in to kind of get an, a, a gauge, I guess you could say of what she needed. And it was still relatively new to her as to trying to figure out what she really needed. She, you know, she knew the kind of like overall, you know, American Psychological Association terminology aspects of her treatment that she kind of needed. But um, it's not until you're actually receiving the proper support that you really realize what's beneficial and what's not. I just remember asking her and she would say, well, you know, I kind of need some accountability for this. I kind of need some accountability for that. But it was, you know, your standard, like, you know, finance and routines. But even beyond that, it was where we had to kind of figure out to have open communication, to be able to make sure this worked for everybody um, to say, is this too much for you? You know, is this conversation okay for you? Is us, you know, entertaining, even having friends over, are they going to be okay for you? So it was, it was a checks and balances kind of thing, I guess you could say when it came to support. And we just wanted to make sure that we weren't putting her in a position that would cause a trigger. 
that would cause her to feel uncomfortable in some shape, manner, or form. But also, we had wanted to also make sure that she was included and not secluded. We have we had a couple different rooms that she could have chosen from, but I think we made the executive decision to mix her into the family, if you will, um, put her into the chaos of our family. Uh, but it. I think works. So she does have her space and she has time that she can take away if she needs to, to have her own private space. But at the same time, um, when she is going to be part of the family, she is definitely part of the family. That door opens up and the floodgates open and the kids are in love with her and they want to share their day with her. They want to share their experiences with her they actually, um, specifically our middle child, is very taken with Takia. So they're reading buddies and they're hangout buddies and um, they're road dogs, basically. <laughs> so um, and what's funny is our middle child, Devin, she basically is kind of like a second mother. She has a very nurturing um, personality. So she looks after Takia, which is not something that we talked with the kids um, other than our teenager about Takia's condition or um, illness. And we just let them be them. Mm. (laughs) Um, But strangely enough, she has taken on the role of Takia's medication monitor. Right. (laughs) <laughs> and she makes sure. Did you take your your medicine today? Today, TT. Did you did you make sure you did that? Um, so she does that a lot, which is great. And um, believe it or not, our our kids. I guess they just feed off of us and what we need. And she's one of those type of people. And so she fills a little void there too to kind of help support Takia in that manner. Yeah, my role dog, Devin. Yeah, I I definitely, and I feel a part of the family. Um, I have, and since I've been out of the hospital, I have hopped around a lot, actually. I was in Texas for a bit. I was living with my cousin for a bit. And all of those places certainly served their purpose. And I'm certainly grateful for each person that has opened their home to me. Um, But there were so many things during that time that I didn't even realize that I needed until it was offered or suggested to me. And one of those things were um, therapy when I, well, I was already in therapy, but Liz taking the initiative, I spoke at an event and I remember (laughs) after the event, um, I had therapy maybe a couple days later and my therapist was like, yeah, so (laughs) your friend came up to me and she was like, do you mind if, you know, I come and sit in a session and my therapist is like, well, that's up to you if you feel comfortable with that. And I was like, sure, sure. And now, like before, I remember mentioning that, oh, I wanted someone to come with me to therapy, but I wasn't necessarily talking about it in my session. I was like, just come and sit in the hallway. <laughs> <laughs> no, I had put myself right in the mix. <laughs> and so I was like, OK, sure, that's fine. Uh, she can come. Well, little did Takia know that my intention for asking that question wasn't just to sit in on a a therapy session. I wanted to make it so that it was constructive for both of us because I felt like 
I guess I have a different way of thinking than most people because I kind of feel like if we're going to open up our home to someone, it's not just to give them a place to stay. Um, it's and to help them get back on their feet. It's it's truly the definition of support. So when I thought about what that meant to us, you know, I wanted to make sure that we were all on the same page, that I, that we understood what Takiya really needed. And then also if she understood what she needed, um, that we also had an open communication. And I wanted to make sure that that was, we definitely talk, Takiya and I, we communicate all the time. We have really great conversations. Um, we have sisterly conversations. We have mentor conversations. Um, we, have, we have mother-daughter type of conversations. But to have a conversation about her illness and I guess more of that friendship support system is what I wanted to make sure that there was a comfortable environment for her to do that. So therefore, let's do that in therapy. Let's also use the therapist because we both are a little clueless, I guess you could say. You know, Tia mentioned she didn't quite know what she needed. I didn't quite know what we needed to do. So let's go talk to the therapist so she can kind of guide us both. And so the intention was to go and really just figure out what, what do we need to do for each other? And for, for us, it was, how do we get her to really be a part of the family? What are the rules and the guidelines? Well, you know, there's chores to be done. There's certain expectations, but that, that came from our side, but her side was a little different where we needed to know how do we communicate with her? How do we um, notice the signs if there is something that we should be concerned about? And there was even a period of time mm-hmm. that I was I was a little concerned. Mm-hmm. And I, there was about a three-week stretch um, in the first couple of months that Tahia had moved in. And I was getting concerned because she literally would wake up in the morning. She would come downstairs. She would eat some breakfast. She would take her medication. And then she would grab her laptop and her phone. And she would basically park in different spots. <laughs> throughout the house. (laughs) So she'd start on an ottoman and then she would move, spend some time there. Then she would move to a section of the couch and she'd spend some time there. And then you'd see her in another section and you'd see her in the kitchen or in the dining room or, you know, all these various parts of the house, but never actually physically leaving the house unless she needed to like go to therapy or um, go to the store. And so I got a little concerned because, you know, when you read the textbook symptoms of, of things to look out for and stuff, it's kind of like, oh, well, is there seclusion? Is there isolation? Well, she wasn't really isolated because the family was around, but she was isolated from the rest of the world. And so I wanted to take the time. I was like, you know what? How do I say this in a gentle manner, but not criticize, but yet share that I'm concerned? <laughs> mm-hmm. And believe it or not, like everything that I had before I approached Takia about certain topics, questions, sensitive matters, or at least what I thought was a sensitive, she probably didn't even think half the stuff was sensitive, but I wanted to make sure that I approached conversations with her in a healthy way. So I believe it or not, a lot of people probably wouldn't even realize, but again, shout out to my husband because he was my sounding board. And I guess I needed to bounce off the idea with him to say, do you notice the same thing or is it just me? Am I overthinking it? Am I being over sensitive? Am I being 
you know, too, is, is it, am I just being too much? <laughs> because again, it's like, you know, my, my heightened sensitivity is up because I want to make sure that Takiya was healthy and that she was thriving and that she needed, she had everything that she needed, but I didn't want to be overbearing either. Cause I do, I am still a mother. So that's tends to be some part of me. That's a natural overbearing motherly type of person. So I would always approach him and he's like, no, I noticed the same thing. Maybe we should say something. So then I'm like, okay, well, all right, let me try to say something. How do I say something now? <laughs> Let's figure that out. <laughs> but um, in the end, it would just be like, hey, <laughs> right. I feel like going for a walk today. <laughs> Get outside. It's so beautiful. Right. I'll be like, no, not really. But during that time, I was in a space where I guess I did notice that I was being isolated from the rest of the world. But it was also in the um, I guess you want to say I'm still in the infancy stages, but like the grassroots stages of the podcast and the business. And so I was spending a lot of time on the computer and just kind of focusing in because I was at the time, I believe I was putting the website together. I was working with the graphic designer to try to get the graphic for the podcast. I was figuring out the content. I was trying to schedule interviews. I was doing research. I was doing a lot of stuff to launch by the first of the year. And I will say, when Tia gets something focused in her mind, you want to talk about true focus, like nothing else matters. She is driven to the point of, I'm going to make this happen because I've got my mindset now. I've got my goal. Yeah. So that's what, I think that's what it was. And after we had the conversation, I mean, there were some other things she was like, yeah, but I want to make sure you're working on other goals too. And so reminding me of those and keeping me accountable Now, granted, it hasn't been like an overnight thing, but I've gradually, I would say since I've been here, I feel like I've gradually gotten better because of the support, but then also holding me accountable about certain things and feeling a part of the family. Like I I never felt isolated and I've always felt a part of the family, even before moving in, like you guys, you know, came to my um, graduation when I got my master's. I would always spend time at um, at the old house before you guys mm-hmm. moved here. And I always just felt very like a part of the family. It was not it was less of friendship to me and more about family just because that's how they are. They're very family oriented. And I never for once felt like an outsider. And then moving in, I was just like completely immersed in it and so I never <laughs> yeah you diving into the deep end basically <laughs> there's there's no holds bar no no cut cards around here it's oh you're you're you live here now okay the kids will, just started jumping on her and especially a teenager oh that means I have a big sister that can actually drive me somewhere <laughs> right <laughs> I don't have to keep hearing from my parents well it depends on what we're doing and their schedule oh you want to go all the way to Montgomery County no 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 so then it's like, Takiya, can you take me here? And next thing you know, it's a wrap. Right. Yeah. Even when she had her little hair incident and cut like what the oh, very man. small piece. And she's like, can you take me to get? I'm like, you can ask your mom. But no, it was like a big sister, little sister thing. Like, yeah. help me because I don't want them to know right now when it was something <laughs> so small. But to her, it was big. It and was, so yeah. I was like, yeah, it, it does feel good to just kind of be in that because Despite the challenges that I faced as a kid, 
um, and even just in high school, my family is still very tight knit and very close. Like I'm very close with my mom, I'm the oldest of seven, and I'm very close with my siblings. And so I still got that family feel. Um, my family's in New Jersey. So, you know, the McCrary family just became my family away from Jersey. And so it's been really great. And I actually wanted to ask you about what is what are one, what is one thing or either uh, a few things that you've learned with about managing your mental health and about when it comes to not just support systems, but mm-hmm. what what is something that you learned about yourself during this process? So funny that you asked that because we had that conversation actually just a few weeks ago. Taki and I had that uh, big sister conversation where it's like. I, I actually had reflected back hearing Takia about what she needed to do. You know, she she realized that meditation really helps for her. She realized that um, aromatherapy type oils really help her to relax or to focus or to go to sleep, um, taking baths, whatever it is to to relax and to to. Um, relax her, not only just her mind, but her body that, and then also she would share with me her, some of the conversations that she would have in therapy. And it made me reflect on myself because, you know, I am a mom of three. I'm a wife. Um, I was working full time. And then I decided that when I got laid off from BET, because BET closed their doors in the DC offices, um, to the DC offices that I kind of needed to kind of reevaluate my, my, not my life, but my next steps in my career. So um, I don't, I have an associate's degree, but I don't have a bachelor's degree. And I've always wanted to finish and get my bachelor's degree, not just from a career standpoint, because I know that that's what I needed to stop hitting, banging my head, I should say, against glass ceilings, but also to fulfill something in my life. I actually would be the only person in my immediate family because my parents didn't go to college. My brother started going to college, but he never finished. And so, you know, it was kind of a personal goal of mine to finish college. So anyway, um, I decided to go back to school. And again, (laughs) with the loving support of my husband and all of my crazy ideas, uh, he said, all right, you know, let's put a plan together and let's, Let's get it done. Let's figure out what you need because I he agreed that in order for me to he thought I deserved better from the working world and he knew that I could I offered a lot. So he said, "No, let's do it because I'm tired of people kind of taking advantage of you in the workplace. You know, they're bettering their career, but you're but they're doing it on your back basically." So, I have been for the last year now a full-time student and I have about another year, year and a half to go to finish it. Um mostly because I'm I'm juggling it. And so when I'm taking on these new endeavors, my class schedule is starting to increase. Um, My kids' schedules are increasing once they got back to school and they want to be in this activity and they want to be in that activity. And then my husband's like, well, we need, you know, our own alone time, our adult time. We need to spend time individually with the kids, like all these different aspects of coordination that we needed to do, there was a point where it was like, it can become a little overwhelming. And I start noticing that, 
you know, my attitude, my, my patience level is getting a little thin. Now, mind you, I did mention we have a two-year-old. So she keeps me especially because she's, she's like a little koala bear to me. She is <laughs> constantly attached to my hip. Um, she wants pretty much nothing to do with anybody else but me. And that makes things that I'm trying to do, even just around the house, very, very difficult um, and very challenging. And I get a little exhausted. I probably realize that there might be moments of um, postpartum depression that I feel every now and then because I get so overwhelmed with her neediness alone that I need to figure out some other mechanisms to work through that, those feelings, I guess you could say. Um, So anyway, to answer your question, it basically, given that backstory and stuff, it's, I had to start thinking about what do I need to do for myself so that I can manage my own mental health. I actually went out and bought a couple of essential oils, some aromatherapy oils, um, to try to help with that. I definitely talked to my husband to make time for myself, um, so that I can carve that out. And I also realized that I need to ask for help a little bit more. And that in itself, for me, I didn't realize how hard that was because I'm constantly giving advice to Takia. You know, it's easier said than done basically. So it's like, I'm always saying, you know, I think this is my suggestion on what, how you should handle this, or this is what you should do to Kia. But then it's like, well, how come I'm, I can't apply that to myself. I had to step back and say, you know what? I, I, I do value myself and the role that I play in my family is so important that I need to take care of myself. And my husband's the type of person too. He's like, I can't help you if you don't tell me what you need. So it's really interesting. The dynamic how similar it was to us wanting to make sure that we supported Takia, but then here's my husband and Takia wanting to know how can we support me? You know, how can we support you, Liz? Because we see you doing all this stuff and it's not just you here. So um, that's definitely something that I've learned about myself. And I had told Takia a few weeks ago that a lot of her journey through her treatment plan has really sparked a lot of thoughts in my own personal journey through being a mom and working and going to school and all that kind of stuff. And what's my next, you know, Takiya's trying to figure out what her next move is. And um, I'm trying to figure out my next move. And it's just really interesting how we're, we're kind of walking the same, we're going the same direction, Mm -hmm. but we're walking in different paths. Mm -hmm. Um, So mental health, I will definitely say it's opened my eyes up being so close to someone that really focuses on theirs to realize how important it is for all of us, not just me, but also my husband. So I kind of need to feel like I need to make sure that he's in a good place as well with his mental health. Yeah, I think just with everyone... It has because managing your mental health includes a lot. Um, It's managing your mental health is just not for those who suffer with the severe mental illness. We all have mental health, just like we all have physical health. And so one of the things is the within a support system is your communication skills and how do you 
say things um, without actually wanting to hurt the person's feelings. Or in my case, they were making sure they didn't want to say something that was triggering and would set me off or um, setting boundaries, what expectations are in the relationship, what expectations are in the house. And all of that supports your mental health, because if you don't have a great foundation foundation or communication skills, then that leads to stress and that leads to being overwhelmed or Mm -hmm. overworked. And like, I think, you know, since I've been here, we have like a really great system when it comes to like supporting each other. Um, They're not the type of people to be like, oh, well, Takia's here. So we have a built in nanny (laughs) because I love kids. I'm great. I'm great with them. But, you know, Liz always and Dom, they'll say like, is that is, is that okay? Or do you have a doctor's appointment or um, do we need to rearrange something? I never felt like forced or pushed to do anything mm-hmm. just because I'm here. I felt like I genuinely want to be around the kids. I have my moments, of course, like anybody wants to kind of pull away just to kind of regroup, but for the most yeah. part. And we're constantly saying, Devin, leave her alone. <laughs> leave her alone. Like, you know, she's always banging on the door like the police. Um, and so, but... <laughs> it was cute. She actually wrote a note one time. She actually caught the hint. What was the note? Oh, yeah. There was a post-it note on my door. She wrote <laughs> no interruptions. She couldn't quite spell interruptions. Because she's but, seven. But... Right, right. But I knew what she meant. <laughs> And she was looking out for me. So (laughs) no interruptions. And so it's just like things like that. And you see how even someone as small as seven years old is understanding like, okay, she needs her. She needs her personal space. Mm -hmm. Um, And so but even Devin will she'll even ask. She's like, you know, can, can I come in and watch a movie? Or mm-hmm. it's it's not something where she just automatically mm-hmm. climbs into bed and just mm-hmm. assumes that everything's okay. Like mm-hmm. you're not going to kick her out or anything. <laughs> <laughs> there might have been one or two occasions, but for the most part, I feel like we've done our job as as parents. And she at least asks, can can we do this and can we do that? Can I go with you? Um, she, she definitely checks Takia all the time. Where are you going? (laughs) And especially if she's not going with her, it's like, where are you going? You just went somewhere like two hours ago. Why do you need to go somewhere (laughs) else now? Yeah, she does check. But that just means that she loves you. Yeah, she does. That's my baby. And like even uh, yesterday when she went with me to um, to the doctor Mm -hmm. and she was sitting there. Talk about a support system. Right. I know. And she was just sitting there. It was actually a nutrition class that I have to take. And she was just like, oh, wow, this is. (laughs) <laughs> this is boring. She was, well, she was bored there. Um, but she was like, oh, we got to sit in here for this long. I said, yeah, I got to write notes and I got to go with her. <laughs> <laughs> and so she was like, oh, okay. And so one of the things we have to do in the nutrition class, we have to, um, we have to get weighed in. And so I didn't stand up to get uh, weighed in. Of course I was prolonging cause I didn't want to see what the number on the scale mm-hmm. said. The other part was it was a long line. And so Devin was like, um, TT, don't you have to go out there so the doctor can weigh you? And I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go up there when the line, um, when it gets shorter, but just little things like that. Um, it, you know, it, cert- it does make an impact, especially because, you know, I do, you know, I also have a little sister who's uh 10. And so just kind of spending time with the girls here just kind of puts me back in that, in that mindset. Oh, so the other question I wanted to ask you about what was, what was the hardest part about supporting me? It could even be like prior to me moving in or either moving <laughs> in. Oh, yeah. So prior to Takia moving in was a bit of a whirlwind for me. 
And I don't even know if Takia, this is probably going to be new information for Takia. So backstory that Takia had shared with you earlier was that she had decided to go off of her meds. And so, um, and then she was also needing to, when she was feeling herself sliding backwards in her treatment plan and kind of sliding back into depression, you know, she really reached out to me a lot and letting me know what she was feeling, what she was going through. But through her transition of moving out of her apartment and into our place, and I didn't know this, so it was kind of like a shock at the time. I, I just assumed that she she took care of what she needed to, when she needed to, when it came to just something as, well, not as simple as, but her apartment. You know, you typically have somewhere between 30 and 60 days to give your notice of you whether you're going to renew your lease or you're going to move out. So I just assumed that she had taken care of that. This, again, new new information that I learned through this whole process, because, again, she wasn't on her meds. So at that time, I didn't realize the impact of the fact that she wasn't thinking clearly. She wasn't able to kind of handle the day-to-day stuff, that she, the day-to-day tasks that she needed to handle for herself. And one being was to turn in her, her notice at the proper time that she needed to turn it in. So she needed to give a 60-day notice, basically, and she missed that deadline. Because also, it was also what she shared with me was a time when she was still kind of in denial about needing to give up her apartment, give up her independence, give up her self-sufficiency. Um, that's a lot to deal with. That's Those were a lot of mental and emotional feelings that she had to come to terms with and accept. And I didn't really realize it at the time because I definitely would have, you know, my own internal conversations where it's like, why is this so hard? Like this is, you know, a, apartment living 101 kind of thing. But it wasn't until I really started learning much more about how particularly her mental illness with depression worked that I realized that, oh, well, this is one of the aspects of it. She can't think clearly. She doesn't necessarily know because also these are, it was a difficult decision to make on her own. So basically um, she had you know, she was constantly kind of filling me in on that process because it was also causing a lot of anxiety for her. So basically said, you know what, I'm just going to come over. Let's figure this out because maybe me physically doing being there and not necessarily just constantly over text message or even over a phone conversation is really doing anything. Sometimes the moral support of talking to people that make you uncomfortable or an uncomfortable situation, just having someone to have your back in a sense, you know, was maybe what she needed is kind of where I, what I was thinking. And then if, if she ran into a problem in the conversation, then I could kind of step in because I knew what she needed to communicate. So it was almost like I was, I was playing a mediator for her, if you will. One thing that you'll, you people that know me know about me is, you know, I'm, I'm very defensive as far as like I defend 
those that I love and I don't like people, other people trying to get taken advantage of. And I myself don't like the feeling of, I don't know how many times I've been tried to be taken advantage of, especially when it comes to men or, you know, thinking that they know more than me or that, you know, as a woman, I, I don't know anything kind of thing. But anyway, I digress. So in Takiya's situation, I just didn't want someone in the rental office to kind of take advantage of her or somehow there might have been a miscommunication in information. So anyway, um, I just decided, I told her, okay, tell me when you're going to go or let's plan on a time to go to the rental office and talk to them and figure out what's going on, what your options are and figure out what the best course of action would be for you. And so that's what I did. You know, the next morning I worked it out and with the family and I went over there and we went to the rental office and we talked to them and I was able to really kind of help explain to them and to Takia to like, these are your options. This is what I recommend you do. This sounds like this is the best option for you. What do you want to do? And she made the decision and we went from there. And then also... What? But you ain't say. <laughs> I mean, yeah, she told a nice story, but she came in there like a boss. Like she came in there like my security guard. And I was like, I get, I'm pretty sure that like if you wouldn't have came into the office and I had to like do that process on my own, I'm pretty sure I would have had like an anxiety attack in the office because I was like so worked up because I was like, oh my gosh, I should have did this. But of course I wasn't thinking straight. I was some days, of course, you know, I wasn't even eating or taking showers. So to do something like that was like, one of the last things on my mind, if it was even on my mind. Yeah. So basically, <laughs> I think the other thing too is, you know, you always hear about stories of not necessarily that particular property management company, but you hear of stories of property management companies trying to take advantage of people in the past. So I knew her, her situation and I knew what she was dealing with mentally and emotionally. And I kind of felt like, Sometimes you need to pull the mental illness card, for lack of a better term, to let people know that they it, they can't take advantage of you because you have a situation that is more sensitive than others. And also, there are certain rights and responsibilities that they need to honor as well, when especially if they know what you're that you're dealing with an illness. Yeah, because remember, I found out. We found out about the law in the state of Maryland. Yes. If you have a mental, well, not just a mental illness, but any type of a illness or disability, disability or mm-hmm. condition, how you are able to break your lease if you get a doctor to write a note. And they don't have to necessarily explain the s- severity or what it is. Right. But if you can, if you are unable to live on your own, because at that point you are essentially unfit to yes care for yourself. And at that time, that's really where I was. So I hope that you all really enjoyed the interview with Liz. That was only part one. It's great to record an episode where someone is physically there. A lot of the interviews I do over the phone because the people are outside of the area. And so the energy was great and we got really personal. And so that was only part one. Part two will air next week. So make sure you guys um, come back and listen to it. It was really great. Liz is a great support system for me. Um, I love her so much. I don't know what I would do without her. And I'm really grateful that 
God has placed her and her husband uh, in my life. They have been vital to my recovery. So for this therapist, shout out, it goes to Meraki Psychology Center. They are based in New Brunswick, New Jersey. And the doctor is Dr. Patel. And I will be sure to leave the website in the show notes. They specialize in working with anxiety, eating disorders, and depression. So anything from ADHD, Alzheimer's, anger management, Asperger's syndrome, child or adolescent's coping skills, domestic violence, OCD, relationship issues, self-esteem, self-harming. Please be sure to check them out if you're based in the New Brunswick, New Jersey area. And again, it's the Meraki Psychology Center. Okay, so for this week's Mind, Body, and Soulness segment, we are keeping up with support systems. So I wrote a blog post on four tips to help you create a support system, especially for those who are in recovery. Taking care of your mental health is essential to living your best life. And for those who live with a mental illness, it is imperative that we find balance. So that includes creating a support system that is available in crisis and recovery. A healthy support system, they can really put you on track to success. And I'm aware that not everyone has a support system. um, But if you do not, you, you know, I suggest that you make it a priority to create one. Your support system is not just families and family and friends. You know, your support system can also be someone who may be close to you, a coworker. It can be someone that's involved in your church that you trust. It can be through organizations that you volunteer with if you are a part of the National Alliance on Mental Illness and you start to form bonds by joining that organization. You can work to create a support system. It's really important. So here are a few tips when building your support system. Your support system, they should encourage you. People in your support system, they should not judge you, but they should hold you accountable and encourage you to follow your treatment plan. For instance, they may remind you to take your medication and attend therapy regularly. Another tip is creating a crisis plan. So your crisis plan can include, of course, the name of your medication, your health needs, emergency contacts, what your triggers are, your name of your children, your therapist names. It should also include what a crisis looks like for you because a crisis could look very different um, from one person to the next. And how the people should assist you if you are in a crisis, if it arises. Another tip is to educate your support system. So educate them about your mental illness and inform them of your triggers. So do certain places trigger your symptoms of PTSD or anxiety? Simply tell them and let them know how they can help you to avoid those um, those situations or people that tend to be very triggering for you. Perhaps they want to help, but they don't know how to help. And the National Alliance on Mental Illness, they have a family support group where they provide resources to individuals who support 
family members and friends with mental illness. So I'll be sure to leave their information in the show notes so you can check them out to see the closest chapter in your area. Also, the last tip would be to you must set boundaries. Boundaries are so essential. Clearly state your needs and set boundaries on both ends. So the person with the mental illness and the person who is supporting you, it is very important that those in your support system also make their mental health a priority while supporting you. And so that's all I have for this week's Mind, Body, and Soulness segment. Again, it's they, your support system should encourage you, create a crisis plan, educate them, and set boundaries. All right, you guys. So that wraps up another episode of the Fireflies Unite podcast with me, Kia. I want to thank you all for listening and just tuning in week after week. To all my new listeners, welcome to the family. Welcome to the Fireflies Unite family. The podcast is growing and it's just taking off like wildfire. And I'm so, so grateful. Something that I was ashamed of, something that I was embarrassed of, something that I thought was a character flaw. The minute that I started to own my truth and work on my healing, it has been blessing me tremendously and being, and it's been blessing other people. So please continue to share the podcast, share it on Twitter and Instagram and all that good stuff. And if there's any topics that you want me to cover, send me an email at podcast at fireflyesunite.com. If you want to shout out your therapist, send an email to podcast at fireflyesunite.com. And also for the journal entry segment, we haven't had um, anyone writing in lately, but again, feel free if you need any advice on how to, um, what works best for you in recovery, um, how you should handle a situation, uh, feel free to send that in as well to podcast at fireflyesunite.com. I am so grateful and I'm so excited for the impact that the podcast is making. And I just look forward to growing our community. I look forward to growing as a person. I look forward to the podcast helping you grow individually. You know, the things that you guys say to me on social media when y'all sliding in my DM, (laughs) I, y'all, it really, it's very overwhelming in a good way though I don't really have the right words to express but it's overwhelming in a good way because you know people are wanting to tell their stories people are owning their truth people are working toward healing and they're saying that no I'm not okay and I need the help and they're saying I no longer want to suffer in silence and they talk about the impact of the podcast and how I'm sharing my story and what it's doing uh, for them. And I'm just so, so grateful because it hasn't been an easy road. I pray that you all have a blessed week, sending y'all positive vibes, and I'll talk to you next week. Bye, you guys. I hope that you obtain tools and resources from the Fireflies Unite podcast to help you manage your mental health. But please do not use it as a substitute for a relationship with a licensed therapist or psychiatrist. Let's continue the conversation by following me on Fireflies Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.